Well, good evening. Welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel. You doing okay? Enjoying this Colorado weather? Cool evenings, warm afternoons, and I think it only can get colder, right? Let's all stand this evening as we worship. Our, our speaker for this evening is Dr. Laurel Manson. He's Vice President for Marketing and Recruitment. Let's welcome him. Thank you. Psalms 30 says, Sing to the Lord, you saints of His. Praise His holy name. The psalm writer invites us as, as followers to sing, to worship the Lord, to praise our holy God. So we're going to sing, and we're going to make music with the heavens tonight. Can we, isn't that awesome? We can make Amen. music with the heavens tonight, and we will lift up the name of Jesus. We praise you tonight that we can worship a holy God, that we can bow in awe and reverence before you. And Lord, as we worship you tonight, we are most grateful for the fact that in your holiness, you do not push us as sinful beings away from you, but instead you draw us into a relationship, an ever-growing relationship that enables us to be more and more like you every day, more and more like what you had in mind when you first formed us. Lord, as we walk this pathway, of a holy life as we as we live and walk with you I would pray that you would enable us by your grace to be victorious and live lives that are not filled with sin but lives that are pleasing to you lives that are an honor to you Lord, I pray that you would bless this time together. And in some way, I ask that you would speak to each of us that which we most need to hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's good to see you all tonight in chapel. Thought maybe after some of you ate the meal I prepared tonight, you'd say, Well, I've just been fed enough by him. I'm not going to go to chapel tonight. Uh, it it kind of reminds me uh, back years ago, uh, I used to uh, serve when I was a pastor and then when I was a district superintendent in the state of Wisconsin. I used to, to, to work every summer as the camp cook at either boys and girls camp or youth camp. And then when I, when I became a district superintendent, of course, one of my responsibilities was to travel all over the state and, and visit the churches on Sunday morning. 
One Sunday morning after the morning message, one of the, one of the ladies of the congregation came up to me and said, I have what is probably a very strange question. She said, are you the, are you the camp cook? I didn't know if that had something to do with my message or, you know, just where that came from. And I, I said, uh, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I, I do cook it. This past summer, I cooked at boys and girls camp. She said, oh, that explains a lot. She said, my daughter came in from Sunday school, came rushing up to me and, and sat down and said, mama, what's the camp cook doing here? So some of you are probably thinking, what's the Free Food Tuesday chef doing here? It's good to see all of you. We're off to a great start this fall. I think God is blessing and helping, and um, it, it's just been a good time. As, as I reflected on what it was that I should uh, preach about tonight, I, I thought of the fact that, is the theme, no, nope, theme's not up there. Our theme is God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. I think I have heard every one of the prior messages in chapel this year since the start of the school year till now. And as I begin to think about what I would speak on tonight, uh, speak about what passage of scripture, I I immediately thought, well, I should preach on that passage from Timothy. And, and, and for some reason, my mind went back. Uh, a number of years ago, I was privileged to uh, participate in a work and witness trip to Grand Bahama, Bahama Island. Actually, I went on four work and witness trips to Grand Bahama Island. It's not a bad place to go in the wintertime in February or January when you live in Wisconsin. <laughs> the fact that you had to work a little to put up a building. Uh, but the, the first time I went with the team, I'm, I've been trying to remember when we arrived. We, we may have arrived on a Saturday, I'm not sure, and, and, and started uh, our week there on, on Sunday. And one of the things I discovered about work and witness, there were people on the team always who thought that the primary purpose was to witness. At least I assume that's what they thought was the primary purpose because we never saw them at the work site. <laughs> but the, the, the people that I was with believed that the primary purpose was to witness by working and doing what we had come to do. Well, one of the fun things of that first trip to Grand Bahama Island was the fact that they had planned to have a, an island-wide, what they called a Sunday school revival, every night the first week we were there, Monday through Saturday night. Now, picture this. The leader of our group is having us get up uh, 6 or 6.30 in the morning, uh, have a breakfast, get out on the work site by 8 o'clock, work till 5, eat some supper, get dressed, go to church. By the seventh night, well, by the fourth night, I was 
But, but the interesting thing about this, this Sunday school revival was that it was planned in such a way that there, was, there were people from all of the churches, all the Nazarene churches on the island there every night. And, uh, and there was a different speaker every night. And the individuals who had set up the, the Sunday school revival had assigned to each speaker a verse from the Old Testament. It was the same verse every night. It was when the, the, the verse was when the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said, Set your house in order, you shall die and not live. Uh, that, was, that was the text, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. They had, they had uh, preachers come in from the Church of the Nazarene. They had preachers that came in from Baptist churches. They had preachers that came in from Pentecostal churches. They had preachers that were there. I believe one night we even had a Seventh-day Adventist pastor preach. Set your house in order, you shall die and not live. Now, since only the Nazarenes were there for all of the services and heard each other, the, the others, the Baptists and the Seventh-day Adventists and the Pentecostal, had not heard what the other preached. So it became somewhat repetitive by the end of the week. And quite frankly, I was looking forward to Sunday morning because one of our team members had been chosen to speak that morning. And I thought, you know, that's a great passage of Scripture. But I'll be excited to hear Aidan Crandall preach on Sunday morning because I'm sure it will be on something else. And to my amazement, uh, Pastor Crandall stood up that morning and said, my text this morning is taken from 2 Chronicles where the prophet says to Hezekiah, set your house in order, you shall die and not live. And then he said, I have a parenthesis to add to that title. Here's the parenthesis. A few things I did not hear this week. I don't know why that was running through my mind as I thought about, should I preach about God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. And so, as I have thought about it, I, I decided early on that I, and I don't know if Dr. Ott last Wednesday night stayed with the theme or not. That's the one service, the preaching service that I've missed. But I've chosen to, uh, to go in a, in a slightly different direction. But at the same time, if you really push me, I could tie this into, but of power, okay? I want to read a passage of scripture to you from the book of 1 John. I want to begin reading with the first chapter. And I, I want to read, uh, beginning with verse 5, and I want to read through the first couple of verses of chapter 2. Because I'm convinced that one of the things that each of us, if we have not already faced it, you will face before long all sorts of temptations to say, 
This road is too difficult. In fact, uh, early on, as I was listening to one of the other individuals preaching, it may have been the night that Dr. Gary Streit spoke, I sat over here thinking to myself, you know, by the time I get up there to preach, there's going to be some people who have already begun to think about, well, should I quit? So let me read. I want to begin reading with verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. As I have, have thought and, and studied this passage of Scripture, I've thought to myself, Tonight I'm preaching to a diverse group in terms of your theological backgrounds. I don't know that I said at the new student orientation this year or not. I, I usually try to say it, and if I forgot it this year, let me throw it in here. We do understand that not all of you who attend Nazarene Bible College are part of the Church of the Nazarene. Please forgive us when we forget. Because we're just going to act like you're part of us, because you are. But in this passage of Scripture, there is enough fodder to keep argumentation between doctrinal differences going for months on end. I intentionally tonight choose to ignore those opportunities at debate. I'm not here to try to argue finer points of theology. I'll, I'll leave that to your theology classes. But in this passage of scripture that I have read, understanding that there is diversity of interpretation possible in terms of what John is saying to that early church, the things that I am most interested that we hear tonight and I really want to zero in on chapter 2, verse 1. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm heading. So just so that you know when I get there, 
And then you can breathe a sigh of relief because you'll believe that I'm probably close to being finished. Let me read it for you again now. My dear children, I write, to the, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's where I'm heading. Now, now notice in this passage, John is, is starting as he is talking to the church, and he says the message that we have heard, verse 5 again, the message that we have heard, we, we have heard from him, we declare to you, and here's the message, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Nail that one down. God is light. God is not the author of confusion. God is not involved in bringing darkness into our lives. When, when uncertainties arise, when confusions arise, when we're not really sure of the direction that lies before us, be convinced of this. God is not bringing to you that sense of darkness in your life. That's the enemy of our souls that's bringing that to you. I was talking to someone last spring who said to me, Dr. Matson, I, I, I'm just... I feel like there's something between me and God, but I don't know what it is. And I said to that person, have you asked God to reveal to you specifically what it is? And the individual said, oh yes, I've asked repeatedly, and yet I do not get an answer. My response to that person was, that's not God dealing with you. That's Satan trying to confuse you and trap you and trick you. Because if there is something between you and God, and you go to God and say, God, look at me. What, what do I need to do to make, what do I need to do to grow, grow closer to you? God will specifically, if there's a problem. If we have done something against him, if there's an area in our lives that he is trying to work on, he will specifically nail it down. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Nail that one down. Verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Oh boy, temptation there. In the church world today, we see so much discord in churches. We see so much discord between churches. We see so much of a lack of harmony. But again, I told you I wasn't going to go there, so I'm going to ignore that temptation to stop there and talk a while. But if we, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ purifies us, makes us holy. JC and I tonight did not talk about what I was going to stand up here and preach. We didn't talk about what songs he should sing. But I stood down here as we sang, holy, holy, holy. 
And, and, and God commands us in his word to live lives that are pure and holy before him. And again, I'm not trying to mess with anybody's theology. I'm not going there. But I want to point out that this verse of scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. If he cleanses us, or if he, see, I, I slipped back into my old King James memory from Bible school more than a decade ago. If he purifies our hearts, he enables us to live like he wants us to live. So here John is saying, God is light. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, in spite of doctrinal differences. And if we confess our sins, the blood of Jesus Christ will forgive us our sins. And will purify us. He is faithful to do that. Well then... Now I've arrived, chapter 2, verse 1. I love the way John says this. My dear children. And again, I do like the King James translation of that because that was so familiar to me for so many years. King James translation says, My little children. My little children. In other words, you have the spiritual patriarch, the spiritual father, John, writing to the church, and he says to them, my, my dear children, my little children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. John is saying, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive, to cleanse us. And then John says, in light of all of that, he is light, he, he forgives us, he cleanses us, he gives us fellowship with one another. In light of all that, here's the standard. Quit sinning. Now what he says? My, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Again, we could get involved in all kinds of debate and discussion about the definition of sin. I'm not going there. I'm going to simply say, John says, I write this to you so that you will not. I have to tell you, there were many years in my life. Growing up in a denomination where we believed that we could backslide. Not that anyone else could grab us out of the hands of God, but that we, by our own free choice and volition, turn our backs on God and lose our salvation. Having grown up in this denomination that believes it is possible to backslide, and sadly, not only do we believe it, sometimes we practice it. 
too frequently we practice it. But I remember that for many years, this first part of this verse was, was a, a fearful thing to me. John was saying, in light of what God has done, in light of who God is, in light of his holiness, in light of what he can do for us, the, the, the standard is, don't sin. And, and somehow I developed in my own mind a, a mental... This is not on, right? It is? No. Okay. I'll stay here. <clears throat> Vic asked me if I wanted the mic on, and I said, well, I'll stand behind the pulpit, but I know me, I wander. So, anyway, I had this mental picture when I was younger. This verse, that God was up in heaven, and I used to hear a lot of hellfire brimstone preaching. I had, a, I had a pastor when I was a, a preteen who preached from the book of Revelation every single Sunday night. And I had this mental picture that God was in heaven. And, and, and my pastor used to talk a lot about having your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay? Nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not being critical. I'm not making fun. I'm just trying to set for you what, what I grew up with. And so I had the picture that God was in heaven standing there with the Lamb's book of life in which my name was written, but he had his pen poised right above my name so that if I committed any offense against him, he would say, Aha! I got you! Out you go! <laughs> and then one day, I read the second part of the verse. And, well, no, but if anybody sins, if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ the righteous. King James Version says we have an advocate. What, what does that mean? Jesus Christ pleads our defense. He's like our attorney in court. If we commit an offense, if we commit a sin against God, and we repent of that sin, Jesus is there as our attorney, not as our judge. And I, I get to picture that Jesus is there before the Father saying, Yeah, I understand. He, he blew it again. But, but Father, you don't understand what it's like down there. I do. And he pleads my case. Not if I'm rebellious. Not if I say, no, God, I'm not, I'm not turning away from this wickedness that I am doing or have done. But if I am truly repentant, Jesus pleads my case. You know, that, that takes a lot of the pressure off of us. Because in his holiness, 
we're in trouble. But in his salvation and in his righteousness, in our righteousness through him, we are able to live victoriously. It's good to have an advocate. Last week, one day, I picked up a letter that came in the mail. And it was one of those letters, I don't know about you, I try to be honest in all my dealings and business, but it was one of those letters, the return address of which just sent me into a panic. Internal Revenue Service. I opened the letter. I tried to look at the first few sheets. I didn't understand a lot of it. Um, later I looked at it again and the gist of the whole matter was, we've looked at your 2010 income tax return. By October the 10th, please send us $2,100. You goofed. I mean, that wasn't the, the language, but that's what they want. Well, years ago, I started uh, having a good tax preparer do my income tax. So I just took all of those 10 or 12 sheets of paper and scanned them into a PDF file, and I sent them to her via email and said, tell me what to do. And she responded within a matter of hours and said, uh, well, Come Monday, we'll contact the IRS for you. Uh, don't worry about it. We will deal with it. That's part of our job. You know what? I'm not worrying about it. I have an advocate with the IRS. <laughs> but better than that. I have one who pleads my defense with the Father. So when I get down, when I get discouraged, when, when, when God puts his finger on my spirit and says, Laurel, here's something you should not have done. Jesus is there. And in the struggles of this trimester, or next, or next, when Satan comes and sits on your shoulder at 2 o'clock in the morning and says, why in the world are you writing that exegetical paper anyway? Why don't you just throw it all over? Why don't you, I mean, certainly you don't have a wife like Job had, you know, curse God and die. But when somebody is discouraging to you and you feel like just throwing the whole thing up, not just that class, but your call, and your spiritual experience. Remember that you have an advocate, Jesus Christ. And to tie it into the theme, that is the spirit of power. JC. Dismissed.